Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. At the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond by saying, thanks be to God. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Yami has done um, some of the welcome, but I just want to welcome you on behalf of everyone that's been here. It's an inaugural service. As Yemi has said, we've been meeting already before, but uh, we're so glad to have you here if it's your first time with us, and we hope that you'd come back later. So we're about to start a preaching series, and we're thinking, what is the most appropriate thing or what place to start, being that it's a church? Well, one way we can think about it is, here is a gathering. The church is a gathering of people, and let's talk about things that are important. Now, one thing we can talk about is some of the most influential people in the world. Now, Times, uh, not the Times, sorry, Time magazine did um, a poll in 2013 of the most significant person ever in the world, right? They came up with 100. But the top 10, in the top 10 people, you had, it goes like this, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander the Great, that's 9, 10, 9, Aristotle, Adolf Hitler, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, William Shakespeare, and then we get to the top three. 
Well, notice something already that most of these people are historic figures. And top three, number three was Mohammed. Number two, Napoleon Bonaparte, which some of us do not know here. And then number one, yes, you guessed right, Jesus Christ. Now, even if it's just for a matter of interest, this is someone we should talk about. I find it very, very, it's incredible to believe that 2,000 years ago, he existed, and he's still more popular than Olamide. And this has been the trend. Each time this kind of poll has been taken, Jesus Christ is always seen to be the most important. Now, Muhammad himself also appears. What does that say? It says that not just historic important figures, but religious figures. And so it's quite important, no matter how secular you think the world is becoming, actually, the data shows all around the world, the world is becoming more and more religious. So what you then believe is really, really important. So we're titling this series, Believe and Live. And we're looking at the person of Jesus through the book of John. Because at the end of the book of John, he tells us the purpose for writing this letter. He says, Jesus, this is 20, verse 31, uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So it's believing and living. So that's why we call it Believe and Live series. Quite often we think we know Jesus. And actually, it's through tales or, you know, I think, you know, have you ever said this thing? I think it's somewhere, it's written somewhere in the Bible, you know, because we actually don't consult it as much. And when John wrote this letter, he intended for us to go from beginning to the end. So we're going to do something like that. We're not going to go through every single one, but we're going to go to it for 19 uh, weeks from January, 7th, uh, January 8th to May 7th. And we really want to see this incredible figure. Now, it's not just because he's a historical person, but because he's the founder of the church. And at City Church, we are a church. It makes sense to actually get into the person who we believe still exists and is actually the most influential person in the world, but also the head of the church. Now, let me start this sermon by asking one question, or a question that you probably asked. What is God's will for my life? Have you ever asked that question? You probably asked when you were 20. Some of us here are 40 and are still asking. Some of us probably are looking towards the grave and say, I still don't know what my purpose in life is. It is one of the most important questions and the most asked questions. In fact, when I went to Google, I just put, what is my, and that came out. Without actually predicted. Many people are asking. The American writer Mark Twain once said that the two, uh, um, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Why do I exist? And quite often we look at it in this specific way. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Because I'm here. Some people doubt whether they are here or not. That's another story. But if you do believe you are here, why are you here? And some days you think I figured it out. Another day you think, no, this cannot be my purpose. Or sometimes you just think, well, this is not worth asking. That's for philosophers. But most of the time, the way we live our lives is a reflection of how we answer that question. Now, we're not the only ones to ask that question. Have you ever thought of 
you know, maybe when you were 10 or 15, no, let's say when you were 18, usually 18 to 21, you had this bright idea. You saw this problem in the world and you thought to yourself, why isn't anybody ever thinking about this thing? We need to do something about it. And then you are 35 and you realize people have been thinking about it even before you were born. And so is the question of purpose. We're not the first people to think about it. In fact, the ancient Greeks, this is 400 years before John actually writes this, they actually asked this question, but they looked at it in a different way. They said, not just asking, what is your specific purpose, but is there a purpose for life? Why do all these things exist? And they said, well, there must be. There must be a specific purpose for life. There must be a principle, unifying principle or rationale that holds everything together. What they called this thing was logos, which we translate from Greek to English and call it word. They said, there's this logos, this abstract thing that holds everything that is the reason for living. But they searched and searched and searched, and many actually didn't find what it is. Now, the Jews, because John wrote logos here, the word, as we start, but John was a Jew. The, Jew had a, the Jews had a different conception of this thing called word. But not just was John a Jew, John is also a Christian. He had met Jesus Christ. And so what we want to do today is to find out about ultimate purpose. But we want to consult ancient history, a book written almost 2,000 2000 years ago. We want to listen to John, a Jew, answer a Greek question through a Christian lens that I actually think is very contemporary for us seated here today. Do we want to do that? Well, even if you said no, I'm going to still preach anyway. But I want to think about it in three different questions. We're going to ask you three different questions. One is, where is it? Ultimate purpose, where is it? Two, what is it? And three, how can I get it? Where is it? What is it? And how can I get it? Now, one of the ways we, or two of the ways as Lagosians, that we often think about this ultimate purpose is, if you like, in a modern way and in a traditional way. Let me start with the traditional way. What is the reason? Why are you seated here? Why do you exist? Why do you do the things you do? It's very, very simple. The traditional way is you do it for your family. It's your family. You must try to enhance the family's name or try not to spoil the family's reputation. You think about it. If we're a family that comes together and we want people to know us and we're very good, we're holy, but also we have money, and then all of a sudden your daughter gets pregnant before she gets married. Let's be honest. Most people don't care that much that the daughter has been heartbroken or the daughter actually committed sin. What are they concerned about? Say, what will people... Ah. So some of us know that already, yeah? But the modern, the, the traditional way of why am I here? Essentially to do something for my family, to keep the family name going. The problem with this is if you, dis- if you fail at it, you've disgraced the family, you can be seen as an, out- as an outcast. If you succeed at it, then you'll be the one that is held up in the family as the main person. It leads to pride. It leads to looking down on the other people. Even worse off is that you have no individuality. You go to school, why? And study what you want to study, why? Because that's what my parents said. You study. Your individuality is lost. And then you live your life really essentially for people pleasing. Now the modern understanding of this is that my reason for living is for self-fulfillment. 
whether it's in my wealth, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in career, or whether it's to gain influence and power. Now, once again, if you succeed at it, then you'll be this kind of person that feels, let's say you succeed, like if, I don't want to mention the name, but a very, very successful neurosurgeon in America all of a sudden thinks that he can be president of the country. Now, when he's giving certain tests, you find out that he really isn't qualified. But you see, if you succeed at a particular thing, all of a sudden you start feeling that you can succeed at others. It leads to a certain kind of arrogance and pride. But if you fail at it, I've counseled a few people last year, and one person specifically came and told me, he says, I don't know what I'm meant to do in life. I don't know where I'm going. And that puts a kind of burden, a crushing burden on you. Now, the things we're looking for in life, whether it's liberty, wealth, fame, knowledge, family, we call them life. This is what it means to live. We call it life. And so John in this text tells us in verse 4 that there's something about life. But life is connected to light. In other words, I get life if I understand what my purpose is in life. But as good as John the Baptist was, as we see in verse 6, John tells us that John the Baptist wasn't actually the light. Let me say, so let me quote someone. So I quoted Mark Twain before, a very, very successful writer. I quoted Time magazine. So let me quote another profound um, uh, 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 person. His name is uh, P. Diddy. Now, P. Diddy says, in a recent address to Howard uh, University graduate students, he says, when you feel that you are in darkness, remember the power of you. You are your own light. When you are in darkness, you are your own light. Now, that's the kind of advice that is given to many of us. And sometimes we believe it. Yes, I'm my own light. You know, maybe you've gone for a recent uh, motivational speak and they tell you, say in the mirror every, 10 times every month, I am great. I will do this and all that. Now, sometimes it achieves some things. It motivates people. But sometimes you're faced with the weight of the world's challenges. And you don't feel like you're your own light. Now, John is telling us here that John the Baptist was not the light that was going to connect him to life. And can I be nice to you and say you are not your own light as well? Because the darkness that we face most times is so much more heavier than we want to shine out of. John was saying that for us to receive what ultimate purpose is, it must come through revelation. Light must actually shine in the darkness. Not from out of us, but from outside of us. That's what you see in verse 9. And here's one thing that you shouldn't miss out, and I'll use this to, almost, to close my first point. Is that if you want to find your specific purpose, you must be connected to an ultimate purpose. John says in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. There is a certain life, not your specific life, but there is a certain life that if you connect to, that gives light to each of us here who are, are uh, human beings. Or verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So there is an ultimate purpose. The Greeks are right. 
Now, but what is it that purpose we see in the second point? But there is an ultimate purpose. Rather than think all the time about what am I meant to, you see, why? Why all of this? That's the question we need to ask first. Now, to answer that question, we need to ask from the origins. You know, quite often we say, if we want to find out who we are, we want to find, let's say, a, a doctor, uh, there's the, somebody's sick, we say, how do, there's a problem going on. We talk about the genesis of the problem, isn't it? We say, how did we get here? Or most times you want to find out who you are, you say, I'm going back to my roots. And that's exactly what John did. For us to answer the, point, the question, what is it? This ultimate purpose, what is it? We need to go back to the beginning. So let's take this Greek's ultimate logos. The Greek thought, if you can write it down, if we can figure it out, if we can see this ultimate philosophy, then we'll know what ultimate purpose is. But some of them started getting, they couldn't find it. So some of them took the one option. They said, well, this thing doesn't exist, so we can enjoy life. And the Bible says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we, life has no meaning. They gave up. Some said, well, life is not worth enjoying. Actually, just endure life. They don't say, my brother, don't worry, go better. So you're just here. Sorry, just endure it. And be a man, toughen up until you die. But John says, no. The Jews believed that there was an ultimate purpose. But here's the difference between the Jews and the Greeks. The Jews believed that that ultimate purpose was not just abstract. That ultimate purpose was a he. In other words, that ultimate purpose was personal. Let me put it another way. Logos is not about what. It is about who. Look at it again. In the beginning was the word. If you go to verse... um, Verse 4, it says, in him. So to say there's a he. And if you read Proverbs 8, 22, you start talking, hearing about wisdom. The wisdom that was with God that created the world. I wisdom. Ah, when wisdom starts speaking as I. No, but that was their understanding. That ultimate purpose isn't just a set of ideas. Ultimate purpose is a person. The Logos is a person. And that person, as we see in Verses in verse 3, that person created the world. If I came today and said, you see this projector here, I want to test whether this projector is actually, you know, we're in Nigeria, whether it's original, whether it's Japan and not China. Eh? So I take this, uh, this projector and I throw it against that wall. And then I pick the pieces and I connect it back and we check. It's not working. This thing is China. Now, that would be absurd, isn't it? But what's the problem? Projectors were not created to be thrown against the wall. In other words, we say for something to work well, we need to find the purpose. But for us to find the purpose, we need to go back to the author or the creator. In other words, if you're going to find out why this world exists, can we go back to the creator? You go back to the logos. You will not know your ultimate purpose in life if you keep trying to find out the reason by yourself. Recently watched a movie, very fantastic movie. Best, well, I don't know whether it's Best Nigeria, but it was, it was meant to be the best Nigerian movie of last year. Or the most popular Nigerian movie of last year. I don't want to say the name, you know, we have to be kind. 
but the biggest crossing Nigerian movie of last... Do I keep needing to hint? All right. And at the end of it, in the wedding and all that, the most famous Nigerian um, actor then comes and talks about life and talks about family and talks... And he says, you know, the one thing we all need to do today is just to follow our hearts. If you follow your heart, you land in big trouble. No, actually, if you need to know what you need to do, follow the Logos. The Logos is not just an abstract set of ideas. The Logos is also a person. But John says more, because the Jews will agree with that, but now he says something that the Jews will be like, what? He said the Logos is not just a person. The Logos himself is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Or I understand that. It was with God. But the Word was God. Oof, that's big. In other words, there is God that is with God and is also God. Now, can I quickly, as Christians, we believe this thing. It's a crazy idea. It's called the Trinity. It means that in God, God is one being. We never ever flinch on that. But that God is multiple persons. One being, but multiple persons. God's own fellow, who also himself is God. In other words, he's saying the Logos is not just a declaration of your purpose here. The Logos is a self-disclosure of God. It is the revelation of God. Remember you said you need revelation to find purpose. Well, he said, well, the ultimate purpose or the ultimate revelation is God revealing himself. And that revelation of God also is God. Because you can't fully write down who God is. Let's say, go for a philosophy class. First question on your answer, who is God? Three options. A, B, C. You can do that. Or, first question, who is God? Not in more than 500 words. Really? If you have to fully describe God, how are you going to do it? God himself has to reveal himself and reveal himself as God. This is what the Logos is. Ultimate purpose for living, but the ultimate purpose for living is in God himself, who is God. You will not know your ultimate purpose for living if you do not root it in God. But there is more. He is not just personal. He is not just divine. But this Logos, verse 14, became a human being. That's even a crazier idea than the first one. How is it possible? The author of a book cannot go and become a character in the book. Then, start to talk to the people inside. But that's precisely what Christianity says. He came into the world that was created by him. Now, if you are trying to figure out how that works, you will never be able to figure it out. Can I stop you now? If you were not told that, we won't be able to understand. But look at the depths to which this God wants us to know him. He says you cannot because, really, the complex, the more complex cannot explain itself to the less complex. Except the more complex says something about himself. And God says, you will never be able to fully know me. I have been coming through prophets. They've been bringing my word. But now, me, my word, I have come into the world to let you see what life is truly about. And finally, that word that became human, he has a name. His name is Jesus. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God but only, but one and only son who himself is God and is in close relationship with the Father. He has made him known. And he says his name is Jesus Christ in verse 17. 
Now, this is why the gospel writers, there are four of them, are pains to show us the origin of this Jesus that they've met. Now, think about it. Mark starts his gospel this way. He says, this is Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written where? In Isaiah the prophet. Well, you know what Mark is saying. Mark is saying, I didn't just think about this idea about Jesus Christ and salvation and all this. I didn't just think about it. Go and check. It's written in Isaiah the prophet. Well, where to go, Mark? That's not bad. Isaiah, 700 years. You know, that's stretching back. That's, he's doing very well. The prophet spoke about him. He's not 700 years ago. Good. Then Matthew comes in. Matthew says, I'm going to take another approach. You, you spoke about the prophets, have you? Well, I want to tell you about who his daddy is. Huh? Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to use the genealogy. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. He didn't just come here. He is the son of David. 1,000 years ago. Wow. The mother king of Israel. That is who he's connected to. But not only is he the son of David, the son of Abraham. Oh, my word. He's getting us to the very foundation. The beginning of Israel. Because he's a Jewish Messiah. So the very beginning of Israel is taking us back. Do you see the origin? He's saying this is not just a new idea. God's plan of salvation. As it started with Abraham, this Jesus is connected. And Matthew says, no more speaking. Sorry, Mark, take your place. And then Luke steps in. And Luke says, ah, you want to play genealogies with me, Matthew? Well, I can go one better. In Luke chapter 3, he starts to say, this Jesus they are talking about, yes, he was the son. So it was thought, this is Luke 3.23, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli. Then he keeps going on and on and on. And then he gets to verse 38. He says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Game over. Right? Matthew and Mark, thank you very much. Sit down. You don't beat this. This guy, son of, I mean, where will you go again? The very beginning of, of creation, son of Adam. Sister, and the guy is about to walk out, and John says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. He says, you see, this other one starts from a beginning. He says, No, before the beginning was the word. Mic drop. Game over. In other words, all of these people are doing certain things different. Mark is trying to connect to the ministry of Jesus, and so he goes back to Isaiah. Matthew is trying to show us how he is the king, so he takes us to David and to Abraham, God's promised king. And Luke is trying to say this is what humanity should look like, so he takes us to Adam. And John is saying this is the ultimate purpose for why the world exists, and so he takes us to the beginning. He goes one step further than Genesis. In Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created. So we know God was existing before the beginning. But John tells us the way God is. And so what's the sequence as I move to the third point? The sequence is this. My specific purpose is rooted in ultimate purpose. Ultimate purpose is rooted in the Logos. The Logos is a personal being. This personal Logos is also God. This divine personal logos became a man. And this man is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate purpose for living. Now, if that is what it is, the last question then we want to answer is, how can I get it? 
It's nice that Jesus Christ is the ultimate purpose for living, but how does that connect me to ultimate purpose? Well, if you look at verse 12, uh, verse 11, uh, verse, the end of verse 10 and verse 12, it says Jesus Christ came to certain people, but they did not receive him. In fact, before they didn't receive him, they did not recognize him. The only way we're going to plug into this ultimate purpose is if we recognize and receive. What do I mean by that? Let me take the recognition first. It first means that you have to recognize Jesus. Now, I say that because Nigeria is one of the few pluralistic, truly religious pluralistic countries in the world. That is, you cannot say, if we think of Indonesia, for instance, we know 90-something percent Muslim. If we think of Saudi Arabia, well, we know 101 percent Muslim. When you think of the United States, it's still predominantly Christian. When you think of uh, India, you think predominantly Hindu. But Nigeria is one of the very, very, very few countries, I think about five or six in the world, where we have this almost equal play between Christians and Muslims. Now, you see, that means we're a theistic country. That is, people believe in God. So we're very comfortable with God language. God will do it, isn't it? Or God will help us. Or God bless Nigeria. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the problem. The more we do that, we often then think, which God? We say, but you know, we're all worshipping the same well, actually, any true Muslim that has read the Quran will tell you that is not true. And you as Christians have to stop saying that. Really. Now, what we have to say is that Jesus is God. We don't have to say that in a, a judgmental way. We don't have to say that in a way that we look down on people. But we ourselves in our lives have to recognize Jesus. We are comfortable, too comfortable with God's language. We need to start getting comfortable with Jesus' language. But then, it's even more. Not just Jesus' language, but Jesus as he has revealed himself. How has he revealed himself? Because we do not want a Jesus of our own making. Because nowadays, Jesus is my best friend, right? Jesus, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I spoke to somebody recently. I said, ah, you need a relationship now. I said, ah, no, I'm, I don't have time for relationships. I'm married to, eh? Jesus didn't marry anybody. He didn't marry you. Or Jesus is the ultimate cosmic ATM machine. I spoke to Jesus, I believed in him, I asked for how much, and he gave to me. I sold to Jesus, and Jesus gave to me. All these are different definitions of Jesus. Is this how Jesus has revealed himself? Sometimes we think of Jesus as, you know, and I agree with this, many people, many women have been beat down, oppressed in their marriages and all that. So you go for women's conferences and you come and they tell you how wonderful you are. Can't you see how Jesus loves you? Jesus loves you so much because you are so wonderful. Actually, he came into the world as the light because the world was darkness. In other words, we are all in darkness. One of the first things we learn about Jesus, because he's light, it means that we are Dark. These people rejected him because of the reflection of their darkness. They did not want him. Most of us don't like being told we are wrong. We don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like even discovering the fact that I'm wrong. You are going to always reject Jesus if you cannot see the darkness that is in you. I spoke to someone recently that was working with us. This person, well, no longer working with us, but this person 
had a habit for lying. So eventually we caught her in a particular position. She was lying, lying, lying. Eventually she confessed. She said she lied. She lied. This was the night. The night of the day. The next day she did something that was terrible. And then she was trying to get her way out of it. So she said one thing. And then after she said another thing. And then I asked her, I said, look, I can't understand what you're saying. I don't, lies are just coming out of your mouth. She said, ah, me, I don't lie, oh. I was like, that is a lie. You told me you lied yesterday. And now you're saying you don't lie. In other words, quite often, our problems, we see it, who we really are, and we still say, no, it's someone else's fault. It's my wife. If only you've lived with my wife, you would understand. No, Jesus is the lie that comes to expose our sin. But here's the difference. He doesn't want to expose our sin to embarrass us. He comes to expose our sin to save us. See verse 14b. He says, one other revelation of this Jesus that's come into the world is that he's full of grace and truth. Now, if you check Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 to 7, Moses, who is like the father of, the, of Israel's constitution, he's received he wants to receive um, uh, um, uh, the law from, from God, but he wants God to disclose himself. And when God discloses himself, he says in verse 5, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That love and faithfulness in the Hebrew there is what we've translated to be grace and truth. It is basically that God is saying, I will enter into a covenant with you, and in that covenant, I promise to show you love and to be faithful. So when John is saying, we've seen this person, he is full of grace and truth, he's saying the same God that revealed himself to Moses, but much more has now fully revealed himself. He's revealed himself in covenant love and faithfulness. question is this, why does God reveal himself to you in covenant? I signed a covenant with my wife for a particular mission to see that she becomes better and better the person that God wants her to be. God enters a covenant with us or entered a covenant with Israel to save them and to give them a unique form of worship. And when John then says that we have received grace in place of grace. He's saying, there was a covenant that God signed with his people, Israel. But you see, that covenant was a picture of another covenant. I have replaced the grace of the old covenant with the new covenant, and it is in Jesus. But how do the mechanics of this work? And I want to close with this. If you read in verse 16, it says, sorry, verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. What's glory? Glory is not when somebody speaks and you are so fascinated by what the person says. I say, Glory! Well, it's something like that. But glory is weight, weight of something that has huge value. And John said, You see, Moses saw a glory of God. But we have seen a greater glory. John takes this glory and takes it throughout the whole book. 
in chapter 2, the beginning of Jesus' glory was when John, when he turned water into wine. He said this was the first of the acts of glory of Jesus. And many other different times, Jesus does mighty works. And he says the revelation of his glory. And then you get to John chapter 12. And listen to verse 23. He says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No! It was for this reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Verse 32. And I when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So, Jesus says that the ultimate revelation of glory, or John tells us that the ultimate revelation of the glory of Jesus was when Jesus was lifted up. Now, you think lifted up, you know, we say, lift Jesus, higher, lift Jesus, lift him up further, and most times, I don't know what we are thinking. I, I don't know, trying to lift him up in our hearts or lift him up something. Jesus says that the lifting up here is to show the kind of death he was meant to. The ultimate glory of God, the ultimate purpose of God, the ultimate self-disclosure of God in the person of Jesus is the weakest act that he ever committed. In quote. It was actually the mightiest act he committed. Because though he was the son of God, he was crucified, he could have come down, but because of love, he decided to stay. What's my ultimate purpose for life? It's Jesus. But what does Jesus show me? Jesus shows me how much God loves me, that he came and found me in darkness. He didn't say how great I am or how wonderful I am. He found me in darkness. And even in that darkness, he loved me to take me out of that. Are you there? Have you found that as your ultimate purpose in life? I'm not asking whether you've been going to church for the last 25 years. I'm asking, is this what you see life as? You may say I'm a Christian, but even as a Christian, is this your ultimate purpose? Or is it, I know these things, but I actually... Have my family is the most important thing to me. Jesus is important. Don't get me wrong. It's just, if this other thing is taken away from me, have you ever said that? If my children should die, if my wife should die, I don't think I'll ever be able to live again. Then Jesus is not your ultimate purpose. Because this gives us a strength to say, even if the other very important things are taken away from us, I know this. This one can never be taken away from me. It says, if you receive this, just as light came in the darkness of the world that was uncreated in Genesis 1, and that light started to create things and culminated in the creation of man, he says, if you receive this, it will culminate in the creation of a new man, not born of Husbands will not born of the will of the flesh, but born of God. That's what we mean to be born again. But if you feel this is what you receive, are you living it out? As we want to consider this series in the next 18 weeks, 
Say, come, journey with us and see who Jesus really is. Because if you identify who Jesus is, you truly will live. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just give you praise. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you have come. We thank you that though we ask the question of why we are here, we can see why we are here. We are here because the word became flesh, he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We thank you that he's made himself known to us. But if there's any one of us here, Lord, we ask. We've heard of him. We've never really understood him. And yet we have this staring in our hearts that we would like to connect with him. Father, I pray that you save such a person. And for many of us here who are not living in consistency, we know of him. We have recited the things. We've recited a prayer. And yet it's not reflected. Monday and what happens then is the thing that drives us the most. What school our children go to are the things that drive us the most. What promotion I'm going to get is the thing that drives us the most. Father, help us to recalibrate ourselves. Give us a fresh perspective. The fresh perspective that is the old perspective. And we ask, Lord, that as we journey through the pages of the book of John, we will see this Jesus. And in receiving, recognizing and receiving him, we will live. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.